0: Welcome to Louisiana Lefty, a podcast about politics and community in Louisiana, where we make the case that the health of the state requires a strong progressive movement fueled by the critical work of organizing on the ground. Our goal is to democratize information, demystify party politics, and empower you to join the mission because victory for Louisiana requires you. This week, we begin a two-part conversation with Amelie Breton who's been a fundraiser, a finance director, and a development director which are all ways of saying she raises money for awesome causes. On this episode, we discuss what attracted Amelie to fundraising as a career path and get into the general theories of how to effectively ask for donations. In part two, we'll explore specific methods and best practices for less experienced candidates and campaign staff who are just learning to create finance plans and setting up fundraising call time. Amelie Le Breton, thank you so much for joining me on Louisiana Lefty today. Thank you for having me. Well, you have the distinction of a couple of firsts for me. <laughs> One being you were the first person I went out and had coffee and lunch with after vaccination. So back in the days when we actually could go do those things, you were the person that I went out with and we actually got together specifically to talk about this episode about fundraising for politics. But also you have the distinction of the first person in the history of the podcast so far that I've had to re-record because (laughs) even though we're trying to do all these tech updates I've had nothing but tech issues in season two. Every single episode I've recorded oh, so no. far has had some major issue. So I am very grateful for your generosity of time that you're willing to record with me a second time.
1: Uh, well, as I told you, anything for you, Linda, I'm um, happy to do it and I'm sure it'll be even better on the, the second take.
0: We're very practiced at this now. <laughs> well, I always start the episode with how we met and... Mm-hmm. You and I met at a fundraiser here in New Orleans, where Speaker Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, came. Mm-hmm. Cedric Richmond, then Congressman Richmond, was there, but it was for the D Triple C,
1: yes, which is uh, how everybody refers to it because the name is very long. It's the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Um, so, those who aren't familiar with it, there's the DNC, the D C for Congress, and the D SCC for the Senate. There's Exact parallel uh, for the Republican Party as well.
0: Um, so, those are your federal campaign committees. Well, and what's great is that because we had to re record this podcast, mm-hmm. I slipped in a podcast the week before this one airs. Right. That is on Democratic Alphabet Soup, where uh- <laughs> Professor Handwork, as I call him, and I go through all the different Democratic alphabet soup organizations in Washington, DC. So people should be primed to know what your job was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the alphabet soup part is real. It's not just like a couple of people who talk like that. It's everyone.
0: That was a great event, though. I do want to talk about yeah. that event a yes. little bit. Meeting Speaker Pelosi was an amazing thing. And as you and I have discussed before, I mm-hmm. was not before I got involved in politics. I was not a huge fan of Nancy Pelosi. I have become a tremendous fan of hers just by watching her work, how amazing she is, how effective she is. And she told us the story, long story, which I won't recount here. I don't even know if all (laughs) of it's supposed to be public. Of Really the efforts to save the American economy from a crash in 2008. And it was a remarkable tale, but she was so integral to saving mm-hmm. this country from just depression.
1: I don't often meet people when it comes up, you know, that this is who I worked for, um, who are like, eh, no opinion. Eh, I, don't, I don't know anything about her. People have very strong opinions about her, but uh, whatever, you, you know, whatever those are, she is incredibly effective and she is the best fundraiser for the Democratic Party in history. And you know, obviously I don't know what, how to compare that to something from like 150 years ago, but in it, you know the modern history of the party, she is the best fundraiser. Um, and so to get to learn this particular skill under that leadership was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, she is able to share, especially in those settings. So that party was, that event was probably about 50 to 60 people. Um, and that was, you know, probably average for the kinds of events that we, I worked on in that role. Um, maybe actually even a little bit bigger end than some of the other events we worked on. And in those settings, I think she's able to really drill into to that level of detail and, and give that narrative to folks about what really was happening behind the scenes, which isn't something that they're going to let you park at a press conference and just Tell these stories. You know the Q and A part's different. So what people get to see of her on television, what people get to see on her when they're face to face and interacting with her in person is is totally different. You are not the first person to say, "Oh my goodness, I met her, and I was not expecting that," or "Wow," um, because her she has that kind of mental dexterity to go back and forth between the you know way in which you're building a vote count, the policy pieces, the data of it. Like she can hold all of that in there. And again, whatever people may think of her, she is effective for that reason that she can think through, this is the goal for the strategy. These are the pieces in play and make something happen with that where, you know, um, there may be people who don't believe this, but it's not about her ego. She is always set on whatever the goal in front of her is. And that's, that's one of the reasons she's so effective. Um, She keeps that eye on the prize.
0: Well. Tell me about your political origin story. How did you <laughs> first get involved in politics and what got you interested in it?
1: Yeah, so I have been interested in politics from like a, a, a strangely young age. Um, our, our family dinner table was often talking about these kinds of things. My grandfather was um, in the state legislature. Great grandfather was an elected official. My, on my mom's side, there's people you know who is a DA, all kinds of things. But it was really much more a, um, you know, that, that conversation about my, you know, what so-and-so thought about what had just happened right here, especially in local politics. I think they were really much more mindful of that. This was something I was interested in and they said, go for it. Um, and I was very lucky for that.
0: And you had a grandfather, Eddie LeBreton, who uh-huh. served in the legislature as moon landrew's floor leader i think yes
1: yeah he was i
0: mean he
1: had a a long career so he's involved with a lot of different um you know uh mayoral campaigns and administrations but that was one piece that um i know there's a lot of more stories from that from that time in his career
0: (laughs) very good well tell me a little bit more then about your mini bio and how you ended Mm -hmm. up in fundraising It's not what you started out to do. No,
1: and I don't, I haven't met a fundraiser who's like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do as a little girl, or even like once I was in high school or college, this is what I was going to do. I think we all kind of find different ways towards fundraising. Um, So I, like I said, had always had an interest in politics and um, always a high interest in having a lot of opinions myself. So I wanted to write about politics. I wanted to, so I was a journalism major and I really thought that's the thing I want to do and had some incredible internships that were really, you know, really fascinating to do, but also taught me, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. This was a really cool thing to do for a summer, but I couldn't see myself doing it long-term. So after graduating, I was trying to get a job on Capitol Hill along with about million other people and so wound up interning along with about a thousand other people (laughs) and um, was trying very much to find how do I get go from intern to staff on the hill uh, which is always a, a hard leap to make and everyone kept telling me go campaign you'll get experience like right now your resume you know you're in competition with too many other people who have more on their resume here than you do. You really got to go campaign. And I had this conception of campaigning. It's like, I'm gonna just wind up stuck some snowy place in the middle of November that I don't know anybody and just stuck like knocking doors in the snow. And I grew up here and I can't handle that. <laughs> and I don't know where, probably from movies or something that I got that concept, but I was just dead set against it. So then, you know, I had these wonderful internships and then wound up, moving back home and then interning on a um, a Senate campaign. This was uh, Charlie Melancon Senate campaign against uh, then Senator David Vitter. And and then got pulled into a tax assessor race here in New Orleans, which is the very last thing before you get to the constitutional amendments. You can't get any more down ballot as (laughs) an elected official um but it was eye-opening and it was exciting and it was awesome and it taught me so so much and I was like this is what I want to do campaigning is everything forget all the you know the staff jobs on the official side I don't want that anymore and um and one of the biggest pieces there was that of all the people who were involved with this fantastic candidate who is Janice Lemley she's no longer with us but she's a fantastic person um Mario Zervagon was uh the, was a consultant on that and has, is a phenomenal fundraiser. Um, his portfolio has grown, grown um, uh, but he was able to teach me actual things about how you fundraise. So in that experience, that was the most direct kind of like skill work that I got. Um, and anyway, any rate, wanted to do that. And then of course, now I'm in love with campaigning and I want to go try to find a job on the Senate campaign. And instead I wind up with the opportunity to work for than Congressman Melanson's uh, DC office on the official side. So as soon as I wanted one uh, end of the the work, I wound up with an opportunity to do the other. And I am not complaining here because I loved all of it, Um, but it was just kind of a constant joke. It was like, so if you want that, the other thing's gonna come up. So I wound up working for him. Then he unfortunately did not succeed against David Bitter. So that office was closing and I wound up at the D trip, which was the perfect kind of combination for me because you are working with campaigns, raising money into the committee to invest in campaigns, but you're also living at a, in D.C., and I will tell you that this. I grew up in New Orleans, so I'm a snob about where I live. I want to live somewhere fun where I want to, <laughs> so I loved that part, and uh, and then had the South as my, my region, so I went Texas to Oklahoma to over the Carolinas and down to Florida, Um, and as a democratic fundraiser in the south I absolutely spent most of my time in Texas and Florida (laughs) but um, we got to come home to New Orleans for that event
0: oh nice so you have a broad range of experience then with some journalism some policy and campaign experience (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then you went from the DCCC you moved back to New Orleans
1: Yeah. So I stayed with the D trip for two cycles, four years. Um, and then knew I wanted, I always knew I wanted to live, um, here for the long haul here in new Orleans. So I came back and the Planned Parenthood role, um, I was the development director for Louisiana for Planned Parenthood Gulf coast, which is the affiliate here, uh, headquartered in Houston and covers all of Louisiana. Um, and that was also a, a perfect, place to land there because I wanted to transition to nonprofit, but obviously Planned Parenthood has a undeniable political uh, life uh, piece to it. So I kind of got to, to transition in um, really just the right environment from political to nonprofit fundraising. And then it was actually an, exactly another four years in that role uh, that I moved from Planned Parenthood to now I'm with the Louisiana SPC. I've been there for about two years. Um, as, again, development director, and I will say I've been director since the DTRIP job, <laughs> my job, and Louisiana SBCA, and when it comes to these titles, I, I'm sure it's true in other areas of work, but with fundraising, they can just mean so many, so many things, because those have been completely different jobs, but they've all been some sort of director. <laughs>
0: okay, okay, and then what appealed to you most about the fundraising piece that yes. you went onto campaign work and instead of all the other options in campaign work, you decided you really liked fundraising. So a lot of it,
1: like a lot of other fundraisers, um, kind of certain things happened at just the right time to to lead me that way. Um, And so like I was sharing with the, the first campaign job, that assessor campaign, having somebody as fantastic as Mario to be able to kind of introduce you to how this works and how to do it successfully was a huge element to it. So then, when I got to that place where I was looking for what am I going to do next after working with Congressman Malnson, um, the opportunity for the D trip came through. Some friends of mine I'd made work there, and they were like, "You could do, th- you can do this if you've done those things, you can do this." And I was like, "No way, that sounds way too intimidating." And I don't, how would I do that? And I, and they were like, "No, if you've done these, you know, had this experience, you can do this role." Also, I will be. Uh, this part was always very funny to me. I had used NGP very lightly in that campaign, and because I'd used it, they were like, Okay, cool, she knows NGP. <laughs> Apparently, that was a big leg up. Um, and, and NGP,
0: just to clarify, NGP oh, right, because it's not NGP
1: of, anymore. It's been bought par- well, by Van, right? It, is it still it,
0: called NGP? It's NGP Van. Ah, right. And look, little trivia NGP are the initials of the guy who invented that system, yes, that's right. Nathaniel Perlman, who has his own podcast, which I've actually done. He came to Louisiana and did a bunch of podcasts with folks here. That's awesome. And I was- It's a very good, it's a good database. Little, little trivia. I was like, I know who you are. You're the NGP and NGP <laughs> man. I'm a fan of yours. He thought that was a little funny oh. that I actually knew that.
1: I mean, I'm being very transparent about when all these things happen. so it's not like it's a secret. But I am also making myself feel very old that I can say I worked with NGP before it was purchased by Van, and when you, and the very first time I logged into it, it had an icon that was like the donkey, and I was uh-huh. like, "That's such a weird icon for a tech company," because it hadn't dawned on me yet that even the tech is partisan, <laughs> like even this part of campaigning is partisan. Um, so well, I. And-
0: And we talk about that a lot with folks when we're training them on specifically the vote builder side is that it's Mm -hmm. proprietary, it's a proprietary database that's for Democrats only so that we're not collecting data and then sharing it with people who might be competing with.
1: Correct. So that's kind of how I I wound up in it. But what really appealed to me, why I stuck with it, um, was it's so people-based and I, have clearly, I, I like to talk, um, uh, I like to chat. Um, and so being able to to do work that produces such a critical resource, the funding, um, and do that in a way where you're engaging people, building support, building those, um, you know, the relationships that help um, on the, on a long-term level. There's a great deal of satisfaction about like what the work product of fundraising is and something I like doing on the day-to-day is talking to people. And that's a big part of what you do. Uh, You know, a lot of research and a lot of talking to people.
0: And I think I've heard you talk about this enough now to say, I I think Mm -hmm. what you'll say is the most important thing to know about fundraising is that it's about building relationships.
1: Yes, definitely. And um, I mean, I think I would have said something to that effect if you'd asked me that, like, while I was still in political fundraising, you know before I had nonprofit experience, but now it's even more that's even more true for me um because with campaigning there's such there's so much of that uh urgent there's a deadline, you have the primary schedule, then the general there's a million things that build into campaigns that's like, okay, this is the next target, this is the next thing, and it keeps you on that pace, and that's important, but you also have to kind of the the nonprofit experience has taught me that when you're building things out for the long term, the relationship piece is what becomes so much more important. So you're always supposed to be building relationships in in political fundraising and everything too. But I think it just helps cement it for me because it's not. I moved out of this place where every 30 days we were publicly reporting how much how much we raised to like you know there's a list on the 990s of like 25 donors and the rest of it is you know you're building your own deadlines and your own finance plan on your own, on, on the organization's schedule. But at any rate, the building relationships part is what's so important because if you approach fundraising that way, then you are, you're gonna be more successful because you're gonna connect someone with the resources needed with a cause or a candidate that they can invest in and that they, their, their resources can help make a difference that way.
0: Okay. And you've called the DCCC, the DCCC, the d oh, yes. all of those great things. You've called that like your fundraising college. And yes. I just wanted to say, I felt the same way about the Obama campaign that as mm-hmm. far as organizing university went, that's where I <laughs> yeah. really felt like I had the opportunity and the freedom to learn. And P.S. Great educators on that mm-hmm. piece. Yes. To learn all those wonderful things that have served me so well in politics since then. So you kind of have the same experience with the DCCC.
1: Absolutely. Um, and first I guess I have to give credit to my mother, is the one who coined that was your fundraising college. Um, so she was right. Um, but the I like I mentioned before, I had a really incredible set of fundra- of mentors there. Um, and you know, I started in, you know, an assistant job. And the person who, so the South region would have a director and an assistant, the person in that role was incredible about how much she, how much of the skill set and, you know, the the little tricks to the trade that she taught me, but much more so she taught me why what we were doing was important. I would love it if everybody had to work on a campaign or something, because it just teaches you go figure something out, come back with a solution and not like 10 other questions. (laughs) Um, And then I think uh, one of the other pieces is in these roles or in the role I was in, I'm living in D I'm from, I'm Amelie. I'm from New Orleans. I live in DC now and I'm trying to raise money in Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Miami, Tampa, no one knows me there, right? And so you're trying to figure out how you, again, build those relationships with the people that are going to be working on these events with you. So you're not, yes, you have to sit there and make some cold calls. And that's another thing you learn is that just takes experience and time. It's never like the most fun thing you're going to do, but you get comfortable with it and you figure out how to make that successful. Uh, But beyond that, and what, what will give you more long-term success is figuring out how to build relationships that um, help you network. So in this case, there would usually be for these events, um, a member of Congress who was helping host or co-host. They, you know, have some, one of their local supporters host it at their home or these things So you'd be working with. A, a member of Congress's chief staff or their campaign um, team, and then an individual who is gonna help reach out to their networks. And you can't just call them and say like, where are the numbers and where are your commitments and because no one sure you could do that, but it's not gonna be great. Um, and so you have to figure out how to build relationships with these folks, keep them motivated and make sure you're getting them the support that they need for in, in your role, what you're supposed to deliver. So what I mean by building relationships with all of, you know, people in all of these different cities that didn't know me initially is that you're asking them to reach out to their networks. This person is going to host the party. So they are going to reach out to folks saying, I'm, I'm having, um, you know, this elected official and our member of Congress in my home. And I hope you'll come and support because we want to see more Democrats in Congress, right? That's the, the mission of the D-TRIP. And um, you're trying to support them in doing that now. Some of these folks have done that for, for the committee, for the DNC, you know, across the board for ages, and they know what they're doing. But that's not gonna be most of the people you interact with, right? Those are, um, there's a precious few who have operated like that and continue to do it for or, over a long period of time. So when you're working with someone who hasn't done that before, you're talking through with them who are your networks and who are you, what are you involved in? And okay, you're an attorney and, but you're an environmental attorney or, or what have you. And so you're figuring out where those networks might be and working with them. So again, that's what I mean when I say building relationships, it's not just calling them up and saying, you know, who have you called and where are the commitments and where is this? You're saying, how can I work with you to, Help you to help us achieve this goal of, of finding, you know, of raising the the funds needed. If you're asking people to give up their time or to contribute financially, if you do that and you walked up to the person off the street, not probably gonna get a great response from them because they have no idea who you are or what you're talking about. So when you can do this through a network of, of known relationships where you're, um, you know, that person, you're walking into a conversation where our trust and common knowledge already exists, then you're going to get a lot farther, a lot faster.
0: So the DCCC is really just a fundraising arm of congressional campaigns or does it do Mm -hmm. other things?
1: No. So I was a member of the, the finance department, but really what it set up is, and I was the South, set up as like kind of many campaigns. So there was um, somebody working on data somebody working on research somebody working on field there was actually I was the in a finance role I was raising money into the committee so that it could spend and invest on all these competitive races and then there was a, a different counterpart in each region who was helping candidates raise directly for their their campaign so our our most competitive so that it nicknames the red to blue were the challengers where you're trying to flip a district from red to blue. Um, and our frontline uh, were um, incumbents that had competitive races. And then there's a political role that kind of op- operates like uh, a campaign manager. And then earlier on is really involved in helping recruit candidates in, uh, you know, if there's a, a district where we don't have a candidate, they're going to find somebody.
0: Okay. Well, a slight digression everybody yes. knows one of the things about the d c is the emails and they are yes. fundraising emails for the most part but where did that come from where did all the crazy amounts of emails come from so this is the part where are no longer
1: working for the d trip i'm very glad because now i can just say yes they're annoying and do with them what you will um <laughs> uh, but they are an incredibly successful piece of the fundraising for for the d trip and Um, that the model that kind of got blown up by the DTRIP team has been copied by a lot of other folks. Um, and that the original model though, was the Obama campaign. Digital fundraising, as we think about it today, just didn't exist until the Obama campaign. And they did, um, they just blew it out of the water. Um, but so then when I started at, and I, I did not work the Obama campaign, so I don't want to pretend to be able to speak to it more than they accomplished something huge and brand new. Um, and so when I came to the, to the D trip, it was January, 2011. It, everyone was in the best mood because obviously the tea party wave just happened. And I'm trying to be very sarcastic here, <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, it was, uh, um, definitely a rebuilding moment for the, for the whole party. Um, but specifically on the, on the digital front, that team was two guys and an intern. And like the intern had one of these like half desks around a corner. Like it literally couldn't have been a smaller department at that time. And by the time I left four years later, there was, I don't know, a dozen or more people. I think, I feel like in my head, it was like 20 people over on the side of the office that they like cleared out. But Something, so for some reason, 20 seems too high, so I'm gonna stick with a dozen. Um, but a whole team of people that they were operating with, not just to do the committee's fundraising work, but they started um, a, a program where for, especially for those red to blue and frontline um, incumbents, they would take over your campaign. And I think, yeah, it was called, I don't know if it's still called this, but it was called Mothership Program or something like that, um, that, they built out. And so not only were you getting these emails from the D trip, but then you were starting to get them from, from all the different candidates saying, you know, our, we're, we're knocking on doors and doing all these things. And we need, you know, contribute $5 and get these guys some pizzas or something. Those actually were my favorite emails because those were the ones where I was like, I, I almost want to give because <laughs> um, you're talking about the people doing all this work. Um, and so people ask uh, all the time, not, how do I get off them? And how on earth do they make any money? Like they're just obnoxious. They can't possibly produce anything. And the, the second, the second question first, they actually, they do, they raise a huge amount of money. Um, they're very successful, but what people don't realize is that at any given time you have something like three to 5% of the list giving anything. And then one to 3% of those people giving the majority of the funds. So it's not the same person over like a five-year period sitting in that one to 3% who's giving the most, but they're constantly cycling people in and out. Um, so you, for, you know, for a couple of months, you're, you get really jazzed about a certain hit or fired up about something and you start giving $10 to, and then, and then you'll be like, no, I can't do this anymore. And you'll kind of cycle back out of that. It's a, absolute numbers game so you may never give and still be on the lists and that's fine because they are building out the numbers they need to achieve those goals and so the how do you get removed the truth is you can hit unsubscribe and you will be unsubscribed but then there's a lot of uh, list renting back and forth and political giving so another candidate will have your name on the list and that has already been sent off before you hit unsubscribe or something like that. There's a, that's a big part of how you'll wind up on other people's lists and then back around. But the other thing is, every time there's like a Facebook post that says, you know, sign uh, President Obama's birthday card or something like that, then if you know, and it says when you sign it in the fine print, you know, you're signing up for these emails or you're doing this with the DCCC or whichever committee or campaign. Now you're back. you're back on the list. You're back in it. So I want him to get all the birthday wishes in the world. And I don't, this is not a state <laughs> secret. People know this is how it works. But the truth of the matter is is that you're probably not getting off those lists. Um, so just figure out where to send them in your email or or give. You should definitely be giving to the DTRIP. They do very important work to get Democrats elected.
0: Well, and you, <laughs> you told me the same thing happened there are different lists you get on depending Mm -hmm. on what your profile is but you told me the same thing that I was on one of your lists because I appeared to be a large dollar donor because I had maxed out my credit cards for Barack Obama when he first ran I did not have that money I just essentially took out credit card loans to give to Obama
1: I I will say this again and I will say it many times I personally think he needs to know this. Like he personally needs to know this because that is a high level of commitment to a candidate. The story of how we first met in person was when you came to the, the DCCC event with uh, Speaker Pelosi and Congressman Richmond and um, all our titles changed multiple times in the years in between. But um, I first was aware of you because yeah, you popped up on a prospect list and I was, you know, we, we managed to make that event happen, but I had, it took me years to get that event in New Orleans to happen because we hadn't done it as Rayoli. So it was building out new lists and new stuff. It takes a lot of work to, to you know, make this happen and, and um, know that you're gonna be able to produce the, that kind of revenue. Um, and so, anyway, so in the process of that, anytime somebody popped up from Louisiana, I got really excited. And so when your name came up, I was like, oh, I've not seen this person's name before, brand new. I gotta learn what am I gonna do? And so, you know, first thing you do is plug a per- person's name into Google and it popped up because you had had the, the petition about um, the NFL commissioner and the Saints. <laughs> That's the first thing I learned about you. <laughs> and it was just, you know, my love for Linda Lord started there and it's never stopped. <laughs> I don't like, who is this person? I love everything that they are doing online. Like everything that you were putting out and posting, I was like, I have to meet this person. She's fantastic. That <laughs> is a
0: side note. I did start a petition to get the NFL to give up their tax exempt status. Yes. And we were successful with that. You they were. Right? That, up... That's what I mean. It's like, I was like,
1: this woman knows how to get something done. I got to meet her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I know you did say that eventually I would roll off some lists. Yeah. But... So
1: I mean, you're probably never going to come off the email list, but it, you know, eventually you you can't look at every prospect who's ever given to anything. So most fundraisers will be looking at a certain scope of years. So you'll stop popping once the those years go by.
0: And then the other thing you mentioned to me when we had lunch was that people spend big money. To figure out what works and what doesn't work for mm-hmm. fundraising. I know I must certainly be on all the lists for merchandise and events, because if there's an event, I like going to the events. If you're going to sell a t-shirt, I'm going to buy the t-shirt. I I don't, mm-hmm. I need to get rid of t-shirts. I have so many, <laughs> but what in your experience is the thing that really gets people to donate?
1: Yeah, I think, so this is, you know, kind of, as you were setting up with that question is, not talking about direct mail strategies or direct marketing strategies. They they have tested everything six ways. And I have learned direct mail is never gonna be my favorite part of fundraising. I have learned like, don't try to edit the letter. This is what you're paying them for. They've tested the language, leave it alone. <laughs> but, um, so my work has been much more, you know, individual fundraising based, right? Um, and you need, all these different methods of, of communication uh, to set yourself up for good success. So you need an organization that's communicating really well. I will definitely put a plug right here for the Louisiana SPCA's communications team is amazing. So when I'm introducing myself to somebody now in this role, they know they saw some great video of an animal that we were doing a special procedure for or something like that. But in this case, bring it back to the, the political, You need, you need all of these things going out there. You need a comprehensive communication strategy, but what really, really works, that's helps them. Let me clarify what I meant by that. That helps with the introduction. People are like, oh, okay, that's you. That's what y'all are doing. I heard so-and-so talking about this, or I saw your email, or I saw you were doing blah, blah, blah. That is incredibly helpful because when they've never heard of you before, it's really hard to get started, but what is going to make a difference between somebody taking a meeting with you or in saying yes to a, a contribution or especially a significant contribution is, and I will sound like a broken record here, but that's kind of on purpose. Um, it's about building a relationship. So you're not sitting down in a conversation, kind of waiting until when can I say, will you give me X amount of dollars? You are trying to figure out who this person is and why they care about this. So, we'll use an example of somebody who's very passionate about the environment and say you have a candidate who this is like their number one issue. This is why they're running for Congress. This is the thing that gets them out of bed in the morning. Well, you want them to connect about that and you want them to be able to talk about what it is that they see for the future, what it is they see is possible in this next legislative session or you know what have you. And that is a meaningful conversation that does two things. You build a, 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 certainly a personal connection, you know, they get along on a, on a personal level, but much more importantly, this person sees that this candidate not only cares about the issue, but has a plan to do something about it. And they, and they're right there. You're saying, I believe this person cares about my issue and that they can impact it. And, um, I think you know, the Ken is about whether or not they view this person as a competent person and the what, and the fact that they will do something about it is that trust. And that is something you can only do with personal one-on-one relationship building. You can seem competent, you can have a good strategy, you can seem, you know, be able to, to lay out all, of you know, data, statistics, all the, all the details and be very impressive. But if they don't feel like they trust that this is your number one issue or that, that you are really committed to doing whatever it is that you're talking about, then, then that's very swayable. It's building loyalty, essentially.
0: So I find it ironic that women candidates have struggled so much with fundraising when most of the bomb fundraisers I know are women. And you talked about Nancy Pelosi being one of the best mm-hmm. fundraisers for Democrats of all time. I, I know you, you mentioned Mario, but I know so mm-hmm. many more of the fundraisers I know are women. So what's the disconnect there? What is it self-imposed obstacles? I know well, we obviously know some of that's gonna be societal and people yeah. not just being used to giving to women candidates yet, but.
1: Well, I think um, one, and, and we've talked about this before, a lot of this is changing, right? There's a lot of um, different organizations around purpose, I mean, emerge here in Louisiana. I was so excited when they started because I was like, yes, we need this here. Having done a lot of work in Texas, Annie's List is a, a you know, similarly purposed organization. Um, I'm not sure exactly when they started, but they've been around for decades. Uh, Wendy, uh, Wendy Davis was an Annie's List alum and many others that you've you heard of. It's so important that that training piece that what is what they're delivering is so important because I think it answers a lot of questions not just about fundraising but it's like how do you do this because that's not it's not it's not a subject anybody studies in school right like this is campaigning is pretty much everything you learn and on the job um, and and so I think groups that are trying to address this particularly for women that's huge um, but I and I've shared this with you before as well. I kind of struggle with the concept of women thinking they are not going to be good fundraisers for that reason that you talked about. I I learned all my real basics of fundraising under the leadership of, of Speaker Nancy Pelosi and mentors that dominate this field. Like when I would tell people I work for so-and-so, they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, she's good. I was so fortunate for that. In my fundraising work, every department I've worked with has either been all female or vast majority female. So I think the biggest thing I can say, if someone is considering running and thinking like, I can't raise, I can't do the fundraising part. I can't possibly ask people for money. Do not believe that. Like that's a voice in your head that you just need to ignore because the very, some of the very, very best fundraisers out there across the country are women. And I think there's a lot about, I don't, I, sometimes I hate to like fall into the generalities of women are always nurturing and women are, cause women are always not any one thing, but there's a lot of, um, I think that societal expectations of women to do X, Y, and Z, that stuff's starting to fall, fall away a bit. And we're seeing more and more women be successful in their campaigns. Obviously you're, you're asking for money for a campaign. Nobody thinks this is going into your personal pocket, but there is a lot of sense of, if I'm going to go run for something, I'm putting my name out there on, uh, you know, billboards and a million different flyers, and TV commercials, and all of these things. And it it does become it's obviously it's a personal thing to dedicate. But when you're asking for support, and this is true when it's not just financial support, but focusing on that, when you're asking somebody to contribute to your campaign, you're not asking them to say, "Give this to me because you like me," or "Give this to me because your friend told me to call you." Give us your want to contribute to a campaign that's gonna elect somebody who is going to achieve these environmental goals or make sure the environment's a priority. Or whatever. I'm just gonna keep the environment as my example for the whole rest. <laughs> you're saying, I, I know you're interested in the environment, and let me tell you what I where my plans are and how deep my commitment goes. So you're sharing something personal about why you care about this, but you're also giving them that level of detail about this is the specific thing that I want to achieve and I want to see done. And this is how I think we can do it. I just need to get to Congress. And I hope that you'll want to help me do that so that we can do this together. You know, like you're not, you're not alone on an Island as an elected, you don't get anything done unless you have people behind you or supporting you and telling the rest of your community that we think this is important too.
0: Thank you for listening to Louisiana Lefty. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you to Ben Collinsworth for producing Louisiana Lefty, Jen Pack of Black Cat Studios for our super lefty artwork, and Thousand Dollar Car for allowing us to use their swamp pop classic security guard as our Louisiana Lefty theme song.